I welcome this opportunity to come before you, having graduated from Duke University, I often had occasion to participate in service here in the chapel, but most often as lector. And this being my first opportunity to deliver a sermon, I'm most appreciative as this opportunity does not come to many people my age. It's a, it's a great honor for me. And uh, I promise to be as short as I can. I can't help but say this. Throughout the time that I was preparing the sermon, my wife kept emphasizing the need for me to be short. And as I entered the chapel this morning, I thought about the similarity between the young preacher and the old preacher. The young preacher feeling that he has so much to say and the old preacher feeling that he doesn't have much time left to say anything. So I promise to be as brief as I can. As I speak to the subject, a foundation of truth, you will notice in your bulletin that the title of the sermon is listed, but as for us, but you know, sometimes you cannot, sometimes you can't speak what you think, but what you feel. And my experience as acting Dean of Black Affairs this year has brought me a certain feeling, and I want to relay this to you this morning, my thoughts, a foundation of truth. It's been almost seven years now since I first arrived at Duke University. I recall very vividly the trip from my small hometown in northeastern North Carolina to this a larger town in central Piedmont, North Carolina. And I recall the anxiety, the eager anticipation of beginning my college years in preparation for the future. And as I look back on those years with regard to the years of study that I still have ahead, I know that it's altogether true that time seems much shorter in retrospect than it does in prospect. Nonetheless, however so short those years may seem to me, they've been years full of frustration, years full of expectation, years full of pessimism, years full of optimism, years full of sadness, years full of happiness, years full of worry, years full of bliss, years full of life, years full of growth. A period of time, as Reynolds Price, distinguished professor of English here, has written in the Duke University Bulletin for Prospective Students, a period of time when one draws out of himself the innate and acquired qualities of character and skill and draws out of his teachers and friends and books the strengths he will need to live his life. So I've grown. And for those of you who have known me since I first came to Duke, and I see some of you out there, if there's any doubt in your mind about my spiritual growth or my growth of character, then there can be no doubt in your mind about my physical growth, for I've grown in that way, I suppose, to the extent that I'm no longer growing up but spreading. However, I assure you that I've grown in more ways than that. And not only have I witnessed my growth, but I've witnessed the growth of this institution. 
Such signs of obvious growth are, for example, the Gross Chemistry Building, the addition to Perkins Library, the new wing of the Divinity School, and there are more. But the university has also grown in more ways than physical ways, too. Academically, it is now a well-known fact that Duke University has ascended to great heights. A significant increase in the number of outstanding scholars, a significant increase in the number of research grants awarded the institution, and an increase in the number of high-caliber students that Duke University is attracting reflects this. So much so that John Egerton, freelance education writer and author of an article on Duke University entitled The Rise of a Southern Star, referred this year to Duke's move for a place in the academic inner circle, citing such current statistics as an applicant pool close to 8,000 for approximately 1,100 places in the freshman class, and a median SAT score that exceeds 1,300 a faculty-to-student ratio of approximately 8 to 1, and a library containing approximately 2.4 million volumes. And then also, there's the growth of the institution as a more democratic community. The mission of universities as ideal democratic communities, according to James A. Perkins, editor of a report for the Carnegie Commission on Higher Education entitled The University as an Organization, has been recently added as a fourth function of universities, the other three being those naturally of teaching, research, and public service. Now, I like to think that becoming ideal democratic communities has always been a mission of universities. But at any rate, there has been some progress in this area at Duke. And whether or not there is agreement that student participation in the governing processes of this institution has been too little or too much, it cannot be denied that student participation signifies growth of the institution as a more democratic community. Now this notion of the university as a democratic community is important to me because it relates directly to an area where I feel that the significance of growth is greater. And that is the institution's visible display of growth in the area of moral sensitivity, awareness, obligation, and duty. However little it may be relative to the extent to which it must further grow. And at this point, I think that it is appropriate for me to say that when I refer to the institution, I refer to each individual associated with the institution. For empirically, the university as I perceive it is but an aggregate of individuals who form and participate in a community prescribed by scholarship in the pursuit of truth. So when I say that the institution has displayed signs of growth, at least visibly, in the area of moral obligation, I say that the individuals who comprise this institution have grown some. Faculty, students, administrators, non-academic employees alike. And there are some visible indications of growth. 
just a little over a decade ago, the atmosphere at Duke University, like most predominantly white universities, was not conducive for the presence of black students and professors, or American Indians, or many, many women professors and administrators. And although after a decade out of about 9,000 graduates and undergraduates, there are only approximately 250 black undergraduates, including the 87 black students in this year's freshman class, approximately 135 black graduate students, 10 black professors, approximately seven American Indians, and a mild increase in the number of women professors and administrators. Some progress, it must be said, has been made. Admittedly, all of it has not been made without some friction and tension. As a matter of fact, it is often the case that tension is a catalyst for growth. Drawing on my own personal experience, to interject a light note here, I had a very memorable experience my first day at Duke. I received a scholarship to play football here. And when I first came, it was the policy of the coaching staff, the former coaching staff, to use the freshman players to help prepare the varsity players for their games. Freshmen were what you might call human dummies. A little to my dismay, I was placed in front of a guy who five inches taller than I and 60 pounds heavier stood six feet, seven and a half inches tall and weighed 270 pounds, stood in front of me chewing tobacco, spitting it at my feet. A little intimidated by the sight of someone larger than I, I, I was a little slow to move off the ball on the first play of scrimmage, and subsequently was delivered a blow to my head the like of which I had never received before. Needless to say, I grew up immediately and determined myself to charge off the line the next play to help him grow up some. Seriously, tension often serves as impetus for growth. And it is here that in thinking retrospectively about the progress that Duke has made in society, about the progress that has been made in society at large, and at Duke particularly during the past de decade, as a result of pressure for social reform, that I ponder the prospects for the future now that the demand for reform is no longer as intense as it once was. Herein I focus on the foundation upon which progress has been made at Duke. And why Duke, you ask? Why Duke? As a university, Duke, like other universities, is society in microcosm. And although legally Duke, like other universities, was created by society, theoretically, it nonetheless stands quite apart from society in many ways and is shielded to a considerable degree from external interference with the teaching and learning process, and for a reason for the reason of being a model for the rest of society by striving to be an ideal community. A community that encompasses all the aspects of society in macrocosm, 
including work associated as well as social and recreational aspects. And then finally, as an institution that has grown to be a leader among institutions of higher learning, it is necessary that I focus on the foundation upon which this institution has progressed. And to be more specific, the foundation upon which the individuals who as a collective unit form the institution have progressed in terms of fulfilling moral obligations. In so doing, I recall the parable of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew 7th chapter 24th through 27th verses. Here Jesus is portrayed as rendering a concluding parable to the first discourse found in Matthew, in which the new law, a law designed for the community whose members will inherit the kingdom, is recorded. In concluding the discourse, Jesus is reported as having said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The analogy that Jesus uses here is quite clear. The man who, in building his house on a dry water course, digs deep to build upon solid rock, builds a house that will withstand the calamities of nature and time, while the man who builds upon the sand will see his house destroyed at the instant of a flash flood. I feel compelled to have us look at ourselves this morning briefly. We who comprise this institution, we whose collective characters form the character of the university, a character which, like a house, can be no greater or more secure than the foundation upon which it is built. Unless we strive as individuals to build our character upon a foundation of truth, then the little progress that this institution has realized over the past decade will not withstand the currents of time. And then left with nothing to build upon further, we might conclude that what was boastfully pointed to as visible progress was actually a systematic game of self-deception. How can we tell that we have truly made progress thus far? Well, common sense, common sense tells me that it has not all been progress, but only time will indicate whether or not 
we have ventured along the long road of progress or an illusory voyage altogether. But one thing is for certain. If each of us as components of the whole strives to build our foundation upon truth, we can be reasonably sure that we at Duke University have progressed and are making way for progress in the future. And how is this truth made manifest in a university setting such as this? I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it quickly because I think it's fairly obvious. It is made manifest by people in decision-making positions evincing a deep and abiding sense of moral fortitude and integrity. by the creation of policies and curricula that meet the needs of a heterogeneous student and faculty population, by humane regulations that govern non-academic employees, by students and faculty alike whose sincere intent is to live the truth that they are charged to pursue. Little wonder that Socrates spoke of education as a divine process. For the truth that scholars are charged to pursue is the truth that recognizes the ominous power of God and the human worth of each individual. Truth that human justice has a mandate to uphold It is upon this truth that I stand in harmony with God, man, and nature as an integral component of an organic unity. It is this truth that enables me to stand and sing a song of thanksgiving as the song is same of old. I love thee, O Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer in whom I take refuge. And it is this truth that enables me to express my faith amid many trials and tests, as Paul expressed to Timothy when in writing of his persecutions, his trials, in writing of the last days, he says to Timothy, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, having from whom, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This same truth that enables me to attest to the glory of God's amazing grace for how sweet it sounds. Grace that saved a wretch like me. And great God, that same truth that enables me to see the tide of time not eroding my foundation, but as peace like a river attending my soul.
it is upon this truth that I call each member of this academic community to build his character so that upon a foundation of truth this institution will stand and upon truth it will grow. God bless you and may heaven smile upon you.